We are here, podcast number three, with none other than Paul Conti. Hey guys. An incredible entrepreneur, realtor, office manager of a Berkshire Hathaway in Santa Ana, California, where he's doing deals left and right, doing marketing that you've never seen before on Instagram. He's all over the place. This guy is killing it, and we're about to interview him and hear his story about how he is so great. Paul Conti, I thank you so much for being here. Hey, thank you, Dusty. I really appreciate being here, and uh, thank you to your whole team. It's, it's really an honor to be part of your podcast, and especially one of your early guests. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Yeah. So, Paul, I want to get right into it. And first, I want to first mm-hmm. start off by asking you, what you're a realtor and an office manager, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. What made you first become a realtor to begin with? You know, it's it's really interesting. Um, I, I grew up with my family having a grocery business. Literally, when I was 10 years old, they mortgaged their little house, little three-bedroom house, house in Downey, and they bought a little corner grocery market in South Central L.A. So right in the, the barrio, really, yeah. quite honestly, just west of Huntington Park. Uh, we lived like about eight miles away in Downey, and uh, I speak Spanish. My parents are from Argentina, so it really helped me in that, in that area because it was all Spanish-speaking. So it was great. It was working class, and I really got a good feel for, I, I mean, I, I, honestly, I got a good feel for this working class kind of work ethic. Yeah. And my parents slaved there, and my brother and I, who's four years younger than me, we were there every day, seven days a week, um, 8 a.m. till 9 p.m., weekends, weekdays. Yeah. And um, we, I, I had to be behind the counter. You Was know? that your choice, or your parents made you do that? Parents made me do it all the way. And my brother, at six, seven years old, he'd work a little. He was more watching TV in the back room. And, you know, I, I would do that a little too, but I was mostly behind the counter. And uh, it, was, it was to the point where when we were in school and the teacher would say, okay, tomorrow's a day off because of Saint whatever, because I went to Catholic school. Yeah. You know, they had us in a, in a private school in Downey. And they, the teacher would say, tomorrow's a day off for you know, the Saint of whatever. All the kids would cheer and I'd be bummed. I'd be disappointed because that meant I had to go right back to work. You know, <laughs> any day that I wasn't in school, weekend or weekday, it was at the market. So it sucked those early years, but it was something that I look back on. My brother and I look back on it, and we're so appreciative of that experience. And after three years, they leveraged that little corner grocery market into a bigger-sized market down the street. And that whole South Central area at that time, we're talking like 80s, the 1980s or so. I mean, we were little kids, and all during that time— uh, there were no big supermarkets. There were no Ralphs or Vaughn's or Albertsons. So our market became the biggest grocery market for that area. And our competitors a few miles away were mom and pops like ours. Really? Yeah. And there were just 5,000, 6,000 square foot markets. You know, nothing huge like our big supermarkets, you know, of today. Yeah. And, um, and, and we, it was the right time to work in that, in that region because, again, there were no big competitors that we had to deal with. So um, I really, honestly, developed a work ethic from those early years, those formative years. I always knew one way or another I wanted to be in business for myself like my parents were. Um, One thing I did decide, though, is I didn't want to be surrounded by four walls like they were. You know, I mean, I I just didn't want to be locked into 8 a.m. to 9 p.m., seven days a week. I mean, we didn't even start taking vacations until... I was maybe 15, 16 years old. Only then were we able to take three or four days off at a time. And we always had to be back by the weekend because those were the busiest times. Yeah. And we had, uh, by that point with the larger market, 
We had a manager of the meat market, the meat uh, department, a manager for the produce department, a general manager. So it was pretty organized, but we still had to be there, especially on the weekends. And so I knew I wanted something where I had flexibility with my time, flexibility with where I am. And um, a good friend of my dad's was a real estate agent. And when I was 21, I got my license. Doesn't everybody have a friend in real estate? <laughs> I know, exactly. Everyone knows someone in real estate. And this guy said, you know, come work for us. So I, I, th this was a company called Galindo Realty. Um, it's not in business anymore. It was in the Bell Huntington Park area. Yep. And uh, in fact, some of the realtors in our company who've been around for 15, 20 years, they, they remember a lot of those people who worked at that company. And, uh, you know, I, I didn't know what the hell I was doing, but um, I, a few leads were thrown my way. I did some floor time, which isn't popular anymore, but when people would call in on an ad for a property, you know, you're answering the phone and it's kind of like an open house, but over the yeah. phone. So they're, they're coming to you. So I got a few first transactions doing that, and I was going to school at Long Beach State and okay, so uh, getting a marketing degree. And that marketing degree, you use it obviously for your real estate business. Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, that marketing degree totally came in handy. <laughs> I mean, there's, there's really I, – I don't, I don't want to say college is a waste of time, but uh, I actually did learn some good things in college. You know, I, I, marketing did help to a degree. I learned a lot about advertising and consumer promotion. Actually, to be honest uh, – College even took me away from real estate. As soon as I graduated, I went to work in advertising because uh, we were in a recession at that time. I, I, as much as I loved real estate and I managed to sell a few homes, I didn't know really if, if that was what I wanted to do full time. And I really got excited about advertising because of some classes I took in yeah. college. And so um, I, I started working at a little ad agency in Huntington Beach. And, uh, but it was a job. See, again, I was back to being an employee mm -hmm. Like I was doing part-time while I was in school. Because I was, I was working in real estate. I was working at golf and stuff where they filmed the yep. original Karate Kid. Yeah, yeah. I, I grew up in Downey, so I was working there. And that was fun. You know, Saturday nights, the, the, um, the, the little cars, indie the, bumper yep. cars. Yeah, cars, I was, yep. I was the, the Saturday night supervisor, so it was a lot of fun. We kicked off a lot of drunks, you know, off the cars. <laughs> but, uh, you know, so it was a paycheck. So here I was, you know, working for a paycheck again at a little ad agency, and I just got back into real estate after a few years because I realized I wanted to be in business for myself. For that ad agency, what were you advertising? What was your main thing? Um, you know, for being a small firm, they had a really diversified roster. I got to say, most little ad agencies just work for one or two types of clients. We worked for um, a, a video game um, company at the time called okay. Interplay Productions that was down in Irvine. And uh, some other people in the downstairs of this ad agency worked on the shopping mall account. And uh, First American, actually, of all things, our a company that we are affiliated with a lot, First American Home Warranty and Title, that was one of our clients. We were doing annual reports for them. So you guys are the reason that they are so big now. <laughs> I'd like to say we were part of that. I was proofreading the text for their annual reports. And uh, I was more on the, on the management side than on the creative side. Yeah. But uh, it so was, you've had some management skills before. You're a manager now, too. Absolutely, anyway. absolutely. It really helped with management. It, it helped with management skills. It helped with marketing. Um, and then after doing that for a couple of years, I realized, you know what? It just sharpened my desire to be in business for myself. Got it. So, um, so out of the ad agency, the golf and stuff, and the grocery store, you were able to develop some skills needed to how to run a business, how to do that, how to talk to people. I'm assuming because in all those businesses, you're talking to people. 
right? Absolutely. You know what? That's probably the biggest part of it, Dusty, is, is uh, interpersonal communications, honestly. Yeah. Um, I did have to meet with clients a lot in the ad agency. And, of course, client relations and working at golf and stuff, you know, whether they were Saturday night drunks or just families on Sunday with their little kids, you know, you had to work with all kinds of personalities. And uh, I would say that it really sharpened my interpersonal skills. Gotcha. Those jobs. And so all those skills lead you on to becoming real to bring you back into the business. What brought you back? Yeah. Um, so I had an experience where um, two, two guys uh, sold a property for my dad. He had a, a, a commercial property around the area of the grocery store where after my parents retired, they owned a few properties around there. So this um, team of young guys in their 20s or so, I was, I was their age too. Um, they, uh, they sold a property for my dad and I, I talked to them and they said, hey, if you're gonna be in real estate, why don't you come into commercial real estate? This is the sexy, hot part of, of real estate. <laughs> and we're working in this team, Grub & Ellis, that now has changed its name a little bit, but it's still a, a big commercial company. They were up in Westwood and they, uh, even though they grew up in my area, they said, come up here, this is the exciting place to be. It's fun and uh, you'll make a lot of money. Was so, it exciting? It was exciting, but I wasn't making jack financially. I wasn't yeah. earning anything. Um, commercial real estate, when you're doing only commercial, not like apartment buildings mixed with residential, yeah. when you're just doing shopping centers and that kind of stuff, which it they is. were, it, it's few and far between bef until you get those checks. So I was basically like a runner. I was kind of their gopher and their cold calling guy on the phone with the big shopping center invest investor directory calling investors, which is great. I learned a lot about cold calling. Uh, I was calling investors and asking, hey, um, I was telling them, we, we have a small shopping center for sale. Um, I'll send you all the setup information. Let me email it to you. By the way, what do you guys have that you're selling that maybe you would want to liquidate in order to free up investment capital to buy one of these? Mm -hmm. So we'd try to get listings by offering them properties for sale. They're always, yeah, it, we, we got a lot of meetings um, and here and there we were making money, but I'm telling you, man, it, it took so long. Um, one thing I'll never forget was Memorial Day weekend. Um, one of the, I was there for about a year and a half. I was coming down the elevator. I was probably the last one to leave the office. Friday night, Memorial Day weekend, and I did not have enough gas for my car, enough money to buy gas for my car and get through the weekend, a three-day weekend. And I got into the elevator. The elevator shuts. We were like on the ninth floor of this building in Westwood. And I looked down in the corner of the elevator, and there was a $100 bill. And I just thought, oh, my God. So I just snatched it up, and I'm just thinking, as soon as the doors open, is someone going to you know, say, hey, I, I dropped 100 here. The doors open. There's nobody there in the lobby. I just took off and went to my car. And I'm just like, thank you, God, for giving me enough money to get through the weekend. I'm telling you, it was that bad. You know, yeah. um, I had a little 500, not even 500 square foot apartment, little studio. Um, and it was a fun area. My friends would come up from this area where I grew up, the Long Beach, Orange County area, and they would um, hang out and sleep on the floor of my little studio apartment, and we'd party in Hollywood, you know? It was just a fun thing to do. I mean, really budget conscious, you know, yeah. economical partying, but it was fun, and I learned a lot about cold calling and more about interpersonal skills, and another thing I learned was how to analyze a commercial investment, how to do um, gross operating income minus your expenses, uh, projected property taxes. I learned about pro forma rents and then how to come up with a cap capitalization rate, yep. a cap rate. Mm -hmm. And then from there, 
a cash on cash return once you know all the investment, you know, once you know your monthly payment from, you know, the, what their likely loan payment would be, how to calculate a cash and cash return. So those skills actually help me to this day in selling apartment buildings, yeah. you know, which I've done. I, I actually sold more residential after coming to our company than I did in, during the whole time I was there. Did those skills, all that information that you learned from being in commercial help you at all with regular people who are just buying their first home, anything like that? Because I'm sure they want to know about numbers sometimes too, not as yeah. into detail, but. Yeah, guys, that's a good question. Um, first of all, I learned how different residential was from commercial because I, I, I actually had a little experience in residential since I'd done this before, you know, a little bit part-time when I was in college. And uh, I, I realized, you know what, residential, when a family falls in love with a home, it's all about, hey, this is where we want to raise our family. We want to send our kids to this school. We want to, this is, this is where we want to call home. And, and that's, you have something to negotiate with at that point, you know, because it's all about making a deal work in order to help achieve dreams, family yep. dreams. With the commercial side, it was cold, analytical, and if the numbers didn't make sense, and if they couldn't get that cash-on-cash cash return and the projected upside to make it a smart investment, it was pure you know, business. Pure business. Nothing wrong with that, but that's much harder to negotiate with. Yeah. And I'll never forget one uh, shopping center uh, that we were trying to sell, a $2.5 million strip center in Torrance, and this group of uh, investors that was looking to buy it, they, at the last minute, when we thought we were going to make this deal work, one of the investors said, hey, you know what, if that anchor tenant can't sign a guarantee that they're going to renew their lease after the next year when their lease is up, we want 100000 off the price. And uh, there was no way that that tenant was going to do that, and there was no way the seller was going to lower their price after they had already come down quite a bit. And the buyers just walked. And wow. I was just like, devastated i really needed that commission yeah. you know i mean this is around the time that i'm yep. hoping to get hundred dollar bills on the elevator floor so um <laughs> yeah so um but in answer to your question yeah numbers it did help a lot yeah uh there are times again when i'm when i'm dealing with an investor who wants to buy a four unit or maybe a five unit apartment building and uh that background it, helps you there that background really helps Really was does. there a moment that you were doing both commercial and residential when you were doing the transition to more residential? Well, over there, you couldn't do residential. And that was one thing that really frustrated me about being in commercial is um, this was around the early 2000s. The market was just taking off, the residential yep. market, as, as you know. And uh, I, I actually had some referrals to, for, for selling homes. And my, my manager and my, my team guys said, you know what, you got to refer that out to a residential guy. We just don't do that. And I was just devastated. So um, I couldn't do both over there. But after I came here, that was part of the, that was actually the, um, the, the nail in the coffin. I left on great terms. Yeah. Everyone was, you know, wishing me well. And in fact, they didn't want me to leave. And I ended up coming to this company, Bruce Mulhern's company, because I had interviewed with them right before I got into commercial. You know, like I yeah. said, I got, I got connected to these commercial guys. But before that, I was interviewing with this company, which was just Mulhern Realtors, was just becoming Berkshire. Actually, it was just becoming Prudential, which we were for a few years before becoming Berkshire Hathaway. And uh, Bruce Mulhern and Tim Rush were amazing at follow-up, you know, just yeah. checking in once in a while. You know, hey, how are things going? And so I called them and I go, you know, you guys have been just so amazing at follow-up. 
Um, I'm actually thinking about getting into residential once and for all. Are you guys still hiring, basically? And they said, yeah, come on in. That's awesome. Yeah. So was there a, a deal that changed everything for you, either your first residential deal, maybe your fifth, tenth, whatever, that <laughs> made you like, this is it. This is what I want to do. I love residential. I want to do this. Uh, you know, um, my first few deals kind of solidified that for me. Um, at the time that I started here, I was in the Bellflower office of our company where our training center is, and they were doing a big um, two-day-a-week buyer seminars. Bruce Mulhern would put it on himself, and then when everybody was just mesmerized thinking, I can buy a home, I can buy the home of my, my dreams. dreams, I don't have to be a renter all my life, um, a lender would, would get them pre-approved, and then they would get brought to us realtors and uh, one young couple uh, they they fell in love with homes in out of all places up in um, Palmdale the Palmdale and um, yeah. Lancaster area and so uh, I, I drove them up to Palmdale one Sunday thinking if I'll, I'll see if they really like homes up here because if they don't want if they don't seem as motivated as they verbally seem I'm just not gonna keep coming up to yeah. We ended up writing offers on four different homes that Sunday because they, they were really motivated. Yeah, motivated. yeah, we didn't get anything accepted then, but we went up one more Sunday and uh, they fell in love with one more home. We wrote an offer on that and we got it accepted. And that was kind of the clincher that made me think, you know what? This is exciting. You know, this is a young family with just an infant child. And uh, I was just so excited. I was helping them accomplish, you know, their dreams. Another one was a young Cambodian family that also went to the buyer seminar, yep. and they got passed to me. They didn't speak much English, but they were just the nicest people, and we just managed to um, communicate. And at one time, they started falling in love with um, new home developments out further and further east, like going out to Corona and so forth. And I, it, it got to the point where I said to them, you know, you guys, not all these companies pay realtor commissions. I got to say, if one of these companies decides they do want to you know, sell you a home, yeah, I may not be able to represent you because they may not pay me. They said, Paul, we can pay you. We can pay you some commission. I mean, it was a young family that was buying their first home, and yet they, they were promising that they would pay my commission. We ended up going farther and farther, and I sold them a home in Lake Elsinore. And they had a little Cambodian restaurant like a, on Atlantic Avenue in Long Beach, and they decided to do that drive. But they fell in love with that home. Why do you think that is about you that they, because normally buyers don't pay the realtor's commission, but what about you that you did something with them that made them feel like, I owe Paul money. I owe him a commission. He worked hard. What was it? Well, it wasn't a language barrier. I mean, they understood what I was saying to them. <laughs> um, now they, they fully understood it. You know, that's a great question, Dusty. I, I'd like to think that I, they, they could tell that I really cared about them. They were such a sweet family. You weren't after the money or anything like that. Just working hard, doing the right thing for your client made them feel like, I mean, you know. You know, they... I was already in the business just about a year. I already had learned by that point that if you just take care of your clients, the commission is going to take care of itself. Yeah. So uh, I, I just trusted that. I didn't. I don't think they could see dollar signs in my eyes. I don't think they could smell that commission breath. Yeah. You know, I, I, I really think that it was uh, them honestly seeing that I cared about them because I really did. Yeah. They were. To this day, I mean, uh, they're they're in my database, and we touch base every now and then. They were just the loveliest family, honestly. And I, I mean, it's it's no joke, it's no exaggeration to say I really love just helping people because then the commission just takes care of itself. Yeah, it really does. What would you say that would be your number one way you get clients today? So um, I'm I'm I've realized that uh, in this business, 
there are two ways to get clients, marketing and prospecting. They're two totally different things. Marketing is when you're making mass announcements. It could be through an email blast, a postcard blast. Some realtors do the big billboards, you know, and bust out benches. And now, these over these past several years, we're turning more and more to social media, paid and unpaid social media. Um, so that's, that's mass announcements. Then prospecting is where you're trying to have one-on-one -on -one conversations. They could be live, face-to-face, -face, like at a doorknob or an yep. open house, or it could be electronic, like when you're making a cold call or you're calling a, a lead, someone that's already in your database, or it could even be a text. It could be instant messaging. As long as you're having a, a live, real-time conversation and you're asking them, who do you know who wants to buy or sell a home, however brief that conversation is, that's prospecting. So I, I, I separate marketing and prospecting. So yep. I try to have at least one hour a day of sheer prospecting where I'm trying to have conversations. I'm out door knocking or if it's a weekend or maybe even a weekday, it could be an open house. And I can't control how many people come in, but if anyone comes in, that's prospecting right there. Yeah. Um, would and, open houses be your number one source, do you think? I, I would say open houses is the cornerstone of what I'm trying to do. and. Uh, this is part of what I teach even in, in our training classes. What I do is I use open houses as a way to become known in my geographic territory. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And then I, I spend uh, about 30 minutes a day, maybe sometimes more, to do marketing. Some social media, uh, maybe an email blast. Marketing that open house that you're doing? It could be for the open house. It could be just something about the real estate industry. You know, This is what's going on with interest rates. Um, the market is hotter now than it was last year, and uh, so it could be any kind of mass announcement. That's the marketing portion. So I try to do both, marketing and prospecting. Got it. So once you have these leads coming to you, whether it's from your marketing or your prospecting, how do you stay in touch with them? What's your technique to get them to eventually work with you and maybe buy a house or sell that house? You know, um, my coaching company says... Uh, um, and my coach and my, I've learned from managers that the fortune is in the follow-up. And um, I, I heard another realtor say not long ago that 95% of clients do not buy when you meet them. They buy at some point, maybe even a year or a few yep. years into the future. So um, what I do, and sometimes, you know, I drop the ball here and there, but my system is to have everybody into my CRM database, my, my electronic database where I see I have my hot, what I consider my hot leads, who I think are going to buy or sell within the next 60 days. That's just my barometer, 60 days. And, and I can't guarantee they're going to buy or sell in that time frame. I just think they are, so I put them in that class. Yeah. Then the colder leads, the ones who I believe are going to buy or sell, but it's down the road. It might even be years down the road or in another you know, uh, category. And then everyone else is just in my database for just periodic checking in. If you had someone that say they want to buy or sell in the next month. Mm -hmm. How often do you stay in touch with them during that month? So if, if I know where they live, like if they're an expired listing, and, and I'm just getting into expires. I know you're doing a fantastic job with expires. You're very proactive with it. Um, if, if they're an expired listing, or, or maybe even just someone who's a referral, someone I doorknob, if I know where they live, I'm going to their home every one to two weeks and knocking on their door, just say, hey, I just wanted to give you an item. Uh, I just wanted to let you know what was going on. Yeah. One and of them, exactly. It's yeah. just a touch. And if they're not home, I'll leave at their door on purpose because I want them to see that I was there. Yeah. 
And people, it's amazing how people are so impressed with follow-up. They think that you're the best realtor in the world if all you're doing is checking in once in a while. You just, you're, all you're doing is your damn job. But they think that you're the best realtor in the world. And I think that's a testament to the fact that not so many people follow up effectively. Most don't do anything. Most don't. And, you know, they'll, they'll let a lead go slip through their fingers. I'm, I'm starting to generate more and more leads now by door knocking. And it could be to, to announce my upcoming open house or a listing I just had. And um, it's amazing how if you just ask a few questions, people will say, hey, I'm thinking of selling my home. It just happened this past Saturday. You know, I was telling people about a home I have in escrow. 26 days on market, we got into escrow. And um, I'm doing my rounds, and this very nice lady opens the door. And I ask the first question, you know, I give, first of all, all I do is I'm giving you a flyer. I'm not here, when I see those no soliciting signs, I'll acknowledge it. I'll, I'll say, I'm not here to solicit. I just wanted to let you know about, in this case, yeah. the home really right around the corner that we were only on the market 26 days and we're in, we're under contract with the buyer. So you still knock on the door, people said no soliciting. Yeah, I do yeah. because I, you know, I say to them, I'm just here to give you information. Then as I'm walking away, I'm taking a few steps back. I literally have to look behind me and make sure I'm not tripping over the flower pot. It's kind of like a, a by the way. I go, oh yeah, by the way, by the who way. do you know who's been thinking of buying or selling? But they see my body language. It's an afterthought. Yeah. I'm really here to give you information. By the way, as I'm starting to step away, who do you know who's been thinking of buying or selling? And she said, uh, I, I don't know anyone. You know, all our neighbors have been here forever. And then I just threw out the follow-up question. Um, how about you guys? When were you thinking of selling? And she goes, you know, I think next year we're going to be selling. <laughs> and I'm like, I, I had to, like, stop. You know, like, I'm already walking away. I, I go, oh, oh, you know. Oh. And then, you know, she, she just opened up, you know, well, we're going to need a home that's, Single story, you know, this uh, two story. We need something smaller and uh, blah blah blah. Our kids. I, when I say blah blah blah, I mean I don't mean to minimize. I mean we got into this great conversation. I start writing down. I go, do you mind if I just take some notes? And she goes, great. And uh, I just start writing down what it is she's looking for. And she just started opening up about you know at their where she works and where her husband works. So they're going to need a home that's close to the area. I was there for more than 10 minutes, you know, just taking notes and having a conversation. So that just shows even places that you think nothing's going to happen because of that no soliciting, it, it just turns it out. Absolutely. Sometimes people will apologize about the no soliciting sign. They'll go, oh, yeah, don't mind that. You know, it's just to keep away. You know. they're, they're just people too. <laughs> right, right. No, no one wants to be solicited until it's the right information that they need when they need it. You know, you're absolutely right. And before we started this podcast, I think you and I just joked about the telemarketing calls we're starting yep. to get on our cell phones. But honestly, if, if they just approach with just a quick little question of value, I don't think it would be so bad. My, my coach said, look, I want you to get out of your comfort zone and start phone cold calling. Because honestly, that's my weak part. I like yep. phone phone calling people I know, and I like cold door knocking, but I haven't done a lot of cold phone calling. Which I know you're you're doing terrific at. You know you're you're yeah. creating a team and doing that on a regular basis. And my coach said to me, "Look, if you're if you're unsure or um, in any way feeling insecure when you make those calls, you're doing a disservice to the people who do want to talk to you because they do want someone to help them and they want someone assertive." Yep. And he said, "Just ask a quick question. Don't waste their time. Don't say, oh, 'Oh, I'm Paul Conti, Berkshire Hathaway,' and don't they they don't want to hear. Just say." Hi, my name is Paul. I'm a local realtor. Are you still accepting offers for your home? You know, call me yeah. And then shut up. And whatever they say next, you go with it. Yeah. If they say no, absolutely not. All right, great. You know, yeah, you're not. Yeah. 
You're not here to square, fit a square peg into the round hole. You're just here to look for people who might say, um, yeah, if we can get our price, I guess we still would sell our home, something yeah. like that. And then you go with it. It's a numbers game. It's a numbers yeah. game. And just make that, ask that quick question, because they don't want to hear a sales pitch. You know, They're just to get, oh God, a salesperson, I want to get off the phone. But you ask them that, that valid question, are you still accepting offers for your home? And then you stop, and they just hear silence. They're going to say something. Yeah. You know, whatever they say, you just go with it. What motivates you to keep going out there and knocking on these doors? I'm sure there's constant rejection, constant people saying, no, I don't want to do anything. But what keeps you going back out there? Uh, honestly, what keeps me doing it is those times like just this past Saturday when it, it works really well. And it just reminds me, oh, my God, you would not think that knocking on a multi-million dollar home door would result in something. But... Every maybe 15 doors that someone answers, there's someone on the other side who actually needs some help and is willing to. In many cases, I'll, I'll say to them, do you mind if I stay in touch with you? Because remember, it's all about the follow-up. They're yeah. not usually looking to buy now. And I'll say, do you mind if I stay in touch and send you things from time to time? You said you're not going to buy or, or you're not going to sell your home for maybe two years, but I'm still going to be in the business in two years. Do you mind if I stay in touch? And they'll say, yeah, sure. Now it's all about the follow-up. So that whole door knock of a multi-million dollar home actually will pay off. Now it's up to me to follow up, yeah. but the lead generation actually works. No, so that's what, right. that's what keeps me motivated. It's that, I have a perfect example of what you just described too as well too, is my first $2.3 million sale, um, I was just excited that I got a lead that someone was willing to talk to me at that level. Mm -hmm. And what happened was um, I'm bad at follow-up. Um, <laughs> I, I forget sometimes, I, don't remember them, I forget to put them in a database or something, but eventually there's some things about some people that trigger with me that I want to follow up with them. Right. And this person, because it was a big deal for me at the time, and still is a big deal, $2.3 million, yeah. is uh, their budget was 1.5 at the time. We were, we showed them one place, and they called me off of one of my ads at, on Christmas. Wow. And, uh, oh, they didn't call me, actually. They sent me an email wanting to know more information about a home. So and, motivated. Yeah. And I thought, Christmas, we got to get out there. My partner, Nick, at the time, we just, we were at Christmas at our family party. We ran outside and we got to call this person right now. <laughs> Happened to be the wrong number. Oh. So we're like, oh, of course, it's the wrong yeah, number. Of course. And so we emailed him back and said, uh, yeah, we called this number, repeated the number that he said, and it didn't go through. And he emailed back right away. And it was just one number off. Oh, jeez. So he sent us his wrong number by one number. He's that excited, him. probably. He typed it wrong. Yep. <laughs> called him back. And uh, right there, he answered and he said, yeah, we want to see this one house on the beach in Sunset Beach. Uh -huh. And we showed it to him, and it turns out it wasn't for them. Uh -huh. But at the time, he had uh, a Tesla. And uh, yeah. when Nick and I were partner, we were inside the house, and it was a nice house. We water view. We wanted to film a little video while we were there. Oh, Might as well. So we were in the house for about 45 minutes. Didn't think anything about anything. And then we were done. We walked out. And as soon as we walked downstairs, walked out, they were parked still in front of the garage. Oh my God. And luckily they were still out there. And we, I was like, what are you guys still doing here? And he said, uh, the way Teslas work, I didn't know at the time, I didn't have my Tesla yet, yeah. that you could start the car if your key's nearby. Nice. So he had his key in his garage at home. Uh -huh. So he was able to get into his car and drove all the way from Newport Beach to Sunset Beach without his key. Oh he was stuck there. Wow. And at the time, he didn't know that you could start the car with your phone. Sure. And so he was there waiting for his friend to go to his house and bring him the key. And during that time, we were talking. Yeah. 
and we just built a little connection and one thing led to another. We kept following up with him because we thought this is a big deal, we want to follow up. Yeah. And we started showing him a new community in Surfside County. Mm -hmm. And that's when we broke into there and that, that community is amazing. And they, they didn't know about it, we didn't know about it. Wow. And showed him two to three places in there and there's one place that popped up that was 800,000 above their budget. And said, oh, let's just, I said, let's just take a look at it. And we did, and we found out. We wrote an offer and got it. He made it work, huh? They, wow. And so to this day, we still keep in touch. We go over there sometimes. I go over there all the time. We have quite a relationship with them. They're going to trust me to sell their other property someday. I know he's yeah. thinking about selling one of his other two more beach houses because he still owns that other one. Uh -huh. yeah. And uh, so we just a strong tradition. We're friends on Facebook. It's amazing, and I see your your marketing, your your social media marketing. I know that that's an area that you've been uh, really working. You've done some good video on, on homes there. Yeah. Maybe I actually saw, saw that one that you're talking about. You probably did. <laughs> I, I I like that area. It just yeah. it just makes me feel better when you're yeah. in an area that you like doing stuff that you want to do. It just your videos come out better. Everything just comes out better. You come mm -hmm. off more confident, having fun, versus an area that you don't care about yeah. or don't know anything about. But still, I still got to go all in everywhere you. Go. It's just yeah. something about the water yeah. keeps me wanting to come back. It's important to like the area, to really feel a connection with the geographic area you choose for yourself. I'm a big believer that realtors probably do better, in my opinion, absolutely do better when they have a geographic area that they focus on. Yep. And you know, if you get referred out of that area, that's great, but that's where you're putting your energy. And it's got to be an area that you like, that you feel yep. a connection to. Absolutely yeah, true. I know, I know when I'm selling in an area that I know a lot of information about or I really like, it comes off just that much stronger. It comes off better because that Surfside Colony home, yeah. uh, this is a $2.3 million buyer. I didn't want to come off as an idiot. So we did a lot of research. Yes. We learned about the parking, the rules, the HOA, everything, the community, stock corporation, everything that you need to know about everything. So when we went to that community, showed them that house, we were experts. Wow. And it just came off that way that we've been doing deals there our whole time. They had no idea that was there. Yeah. There, which um, I'm sure they do now. We talk about it, and uh, but that was our first deal in Surfside Colony, and it just came off as you guys know what you're talking about because you had a passion, yeah, and it led you to want to do the yeah. homework. That's so cool, absolutely. So, I have one more question for you, Paul, sure. and we'll open it up to the audience, and they'll have some questions for you as well. Too, right. it's there has to be something about this business that you love. What's your absolute favorite thing about real estate? You know, it's it's easy to say. Uh, well, it, it, one of the easiest things I could say, and it's very true, is handing, especially first-time buyers, their keys. You know, to their home. I got to do that on Thanksgiving Day one year. We closed escrow the day before Thanksgiving on a young family buying their first home, and we met at the home on Thanksgiving Day. You know, the day after we closed escrow, and I got to hand them the keys on the day of the year that is all about giving thanks. You know, they're getting their piece of the American dream. Um, that is absolutely my favorite thing, but that's that's such an easy thing to say. It's like asking someone, you know, my, you know, when your favorite day was, and it's like the, the day my kid was born, type of thing. But aside from giving someone their keys, it's it's just knowing that I'm really helping to create the middle class and helping that middle class to move up. And then when you're dealing with a multi-million dollar buyer, you're still helping to create that middle class because it's all a, a whole, you know, trickle down effect. Yeah. So everyone who buys a multi-million dollar home is creating jobs for all these working class and middle class people that are involved in the sale and the move-in and you know getting everything ready in that home. I mean, you're really stimulating the economy. 
you're really pulling up all these people and creating and encouraging all these jobs of working class, middle class people. And uh, I, I, I honestly think that we, we know that the, the most important way to build wealth is by owning real estate, especially your own home. Absolutely. And we're, we're probably stimulating the American economy more than I think any other industry. I really right. believe that. You're absolutely right. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Paul. You've been an amazing guest here at Property Center HQ for our podcast number three. It's been quite an honor. Thank you. Thank you. It's been a real honor for me too, Jesse. Appreciate it. Perfect. Thank you so much, Paul. So we're going to open it up to the audience real quick for some questions. And uh, so our first question is going to be coming from Gabby Conti. She is going to be asking just a question for you, Paul. Sure. Hi, Paul. Hi. I've been yeah. very fortunate to attend a couple of your office meetings, and yes. I just wanted to ask you, how do you balance balance being a manager and a realtor at the same time? Yeah, that's a fantastic question, Gabby, and it's honestly mm -hmm. my single biggest challenge right now, time management. Um, my coach told me, and, and I'm not quite there yet, but he told me, look, dude, you got to be militant. That was the word he used. Mm -hmm. you got to be militant about your time. Right. Have your time blocks on your calendar. You're always going to have unscheduled interruptions. You got to find that time to say to people, "Hey, I'm so sorry. Let me get to you at two o'clock. Is that a good time?" Right. And he said something along the lines of, "Unless it's a 911 call from your family coming in, mm -hmm. nothing interrupts that. Right. An escrow emergency, whatever. Mm -hmm. Just I'll be, I'll be with you later. You know, let the right. call go to voicemail. Ask the people politely mm -hmm. to uh, you know come back later. That's the only way." Awesome, thank you. Yeah, thank you, great question. Our next question is coming from Cindy, a realtor here in Cerritos. Hi. Um, my question is, um, what can you, what advice can you give someone who's new in the business who might be, you know, struggling or wanting to figure out like which way to go? You know, when you come into this business, sometimes yeah. it feels really lonely. Right. So what advice would you give up? Fantastic. Okay, so regarding the loneliness part, because I, I deal with this myself and I talk with agents in my office, it's important to have an accountability partner who you can at least do a quick text with, maybe in the morning and in the afternoon or early evening to say, I'm going to do this today and I did this today. What right. did you do? So that check-in helps to deal with the loneliness part because it reminds you you're not out there alone and you are accountable to someone. You know, we all know that if you have an accountability partner to go to the gym at six in the morning, you're getting there and you're only going there because you know your accountability partner is going to be there and you don't want to let them down. Little do you know they're thinking the exact same thing. They don't want to be there either. They're only going to not let you down. So if you know that at 6 p.m. or 7 p.m. you're going to have that check-in with your accountability partner, even if it's just a quick text, unless you're just going to lie through your teeth, I mean, hopefully we're all people with integrity here, you got to say something. you got to say, I talked to 10 people today. I sent out a social media post and I made this many calls and I talked to this many people. Nothing came of it, but at least I had these conversations. Right. So that's regarding the uh, loneliness part. The other part for like a new person, I would say focus. You know, we just spoke a moment ago about having a geographic territory. Um, some people don't want to focus because they're afraid they're not going to get any other business. So if you say you're the Cerritos expert or Long Beach expert, you're afraid I won't get any deals anywhere else. And I learned in um, a business networking group I used to be with, if you're like the chiropractor who says, hey, refer me anyone who's got a back. You know, I mean, that's, no one can really think of, of who to refer to you because we all have backs. 
So you're afraid to say something in specifically because then people won't think of you for someone else. But if you specialize and you say, hey, who do you know who's got that sciatica that runs down the leg or maybe a cramp in their neck? People will be more likely to say, oh, yeah, my cousin last week said they have that or that happened to me the other day. Now you know who to refer to. You know, but if you say anyone who's got a back, I can't grasp on that. I don't know who to refer. You don't make a connection. Exactly. You need to make a connection. The best connections are made by the people who specialize. It could be a geographic area. It could be a type of a product, a type of real estate, uh, demographic, you know, millennials, uh, maybe veterans, first-time buyers. But when you specialize, you will get other referrals. The other business will come to you because they're thinking of you for this thing. And if you think about all big brands of products, they all specialize. Right. We think of them for something in particular and they're gonna get enough business. You know, They're gonna get all the other peripheral business too. So don't be afraid of specializing. Thank you. Okay, so as a new agent, when you were first starting off, how, or did you experience people telling you like you seem young or you sound young? And yeah. like, how do you, how do you, what do you say to that? that. You know? Yeah, that, that is a big thing. You know, in this business now, I think the younger you are, the better. I, I really do. People value energy and they tie youth to energy. So um, now don't get me wrong. You, you could be at any age and still have energy, but people assume that younger people are, 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 are energetic. Um, in this business, P, the most important thing is energy and enthusiasm more than knowledge. It really is. So the only way to get that knowledge, which is the only missing factor for a new person in the business, the only way to get that knowledge is to just, you know, get out there and do it. I would say if you specialize, like I'm, we were talking about a moment ago, if you specialize in a geographic area, just like Dusty with that $2.3 million home in the Surfside Colony, he became the area expert. If you just delve into an area, you get to know it well. Go preview property. If it's an area that does weekly previews, um, you know, like the Friday either caravan or marketing meetings and, and uh, open houses, go to those religiously, network with the agents. You're going to become an expert just like Dusty became an expert of that seaside colony. Um, so again, back to the other thing, if you aren't afraid of specializing and you get known and you get to know that area, you're gonna overcome that, that factor pretty quickly. And then as they see that energy, it, it, that's enthusiastic. And, and that's infectious, you know, they're going to feed off of that. Right. That's, that's why. Yeah. Well, this has been podcast number three with Paul Conti, an extraordinary realtor, entrepreneur, oh, and such an inspiration. So thank you so much for being here, Paul. It's yeah. Been, it's been an honor. Thank you, Dusty. Really, it's been my honor. Perfect. So make sure to subscribe. Find us on Property Cousins on whatever platform you use to search for this podcast. We're going to tag Paul Conti's info as well, too, so you can find him on Instagram, Facebook, wherever you guys want to add him because Paul is an amazing entrepreneur. So thank you. Subscribe. Leave your comments. And let's do this. All right. See you all.